RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? I'm doing well. Ready for another episode of RPG Lessons Learned? God, yes. So, I'm, I'm spreading some papers out before Brian, and I asked Brian, do you remember this game? I sure do. Uh, this was the bulletin board in the, uh, God, what was the name of the, the uh, tavern? Uh, the Silver Unicorn. The Silver Unicorn. Yes, we were still in Fallcrest, so uh, we're jumping right in a bit. But uh, Did we play, I, I know that we had the opportunity to go and play through these games. Did we play all three of these? We did. In okay. fact, there were four. There's a fourth paper. That we didn't do. Yeah. We, 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 the, in this, this podcast, this episode, we'll basically be discussing four mini-sessions from our Fallcrest campaign after we had switched to the basic fantasy role-playing system. Marta. This person is signed Marta. Yes. What is it? Find Martha. No, Marta. Find Martha. Yep. Save Martha. I'm sorry. No, it's Bat- all good. Batman versus Superman. Oh, I didn't even get that. Yeah. You know, I'd never realized that both were named Martha. I didn't until either. Until I watched the I, movie. I've been a fan. My whole life. Yeah, same here. And and, and only then realized how, how funny. That's hilarious. So before we get in today's episode, um, so we still have RPGLessonsLearned.com. That redirects to the... The, the, the category of yeah. RPG Lessons Learned at our website, tfradio.net. Yep. And then Stitcher. So yeah, so Stitcher is a pot podcast platform uh, that you can basically stream podcasts to your web browser or your app, so you don't have to download it. I know our friend Jason, who we talk about, that's his uh, podcast uh, podcast uh, platform of choice. Hmm. Ever since Google started supporting podcasts through, it's really good. Yeah, it, it is really good. Yeah, that's, that's my favorite. Uh, I, like I, I have an app that I've been using on um, my Android phone for years, Dogcatcher, and I love it. And if I wasn't so invested in Dogcatcher and the fact that I paid for it, I would probably just move over to Google Play Music. Mm, got it. So, shall we jump into the session? Yeah, let's do it. So we had we had completed the uh, the 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 Tower of Waiting, which we discussed a few episodes ago or last episode. And uh, you guys had a home base, and I still wanted to keep the Fallcrest campaign yeah. going. So I put together. Uh, sort of, sort of an idea that I discovered from or, or, or stolen from video games. I, I, I love this idea of a bulletin board of missions. So those papers that I was showing Brian, th- these were pieces of, of literally construction paper that I'd taken some markers and scrawled some different, you know, notices for for different adventuring the, needs. The people of Fallcrest are way more literate than I would have expected. You know, I, I'm assuming they hired some some you know wizard's apprentice or some literate person, but. The world of D&D in general seems much more civilized and egalitarian than the actual feudal society. That's true. And honestly, if they can afford 200 gold pieces, I mean, they're probably educated. You know, I had to make the rewards level appropriate. Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to go through each one of these little kind of mini sessions and talk about the Fallcrest campaign, talk about the continuing fallout of Dusk, and talk about uh, what we learned about the basic fantasy system. And we also had Two hard lessons about about two different players. Oh yes, over the course of these mini sessions, we sure did. Yep. So, shall we start? Um, I think we should start with uh, the lumber camp. Okay. I, 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 just before you start, I, I remember the framework that we set this up. In. Oh, well, I'll set it up for but you. But yeah, like uh, the specific games, I remember aspects, but not like the whole narrative construct of the game. I think you'll remember when I start talking. So 
the lumber camp, uh, the posting, it, it, it's Red Ink. Reward. Find my husband, Redgar, lost near the southwest lumber camp. 50 gold pieces, Marta. So the lumber camp, Brian. Um, so this this whole idea of these little mini sessions, I had just started buying those Paizo Game Mastery map cards. These cards were like, gosh, I, I'll get the exact dimensions wrong, but probably five inches by 10 inches, uh, about this size. And I, and I laid down these map cards to be different locations. Uh, for the lumber camp, I, I had, sure enough, a, a little campsite, a couple a couple of cards that you laid down next to each other to, to be this campsite. And Brian, the piece I think you'll remember, you basically wound up fighting the sandworms from Dune. Uh, yeah, I, I remember that. Okay, so you remember those purple, purple yeah. miniatures? So I, I was very heavily invested into miniatures and maps by this point. And Dune. And Dune. Well, I've always been invested in Dune. I've loved Dune since since Dad first made me watch it when I was in like the sixth grade, and then I discovered the books from there. But anyway, um, I basically had it set up to where the, these these I had these great pre pre painted Pathfinder miniatures that I was using in my basic fantasy game set in a fourth edition setting. We were truly yeah. D twenty inclusive by this point. D twenty curious. D twenty. Yeah. Well, just not even curious. Just D twenty all in. D20 promiscuous. Pan D20. Pan D20. Pan D20. So uh, the the biggest takeaway, so so the bulletin board concept you guys seem to like, um, I do remember one lesson learned for me was giving you guys these choices. Instantly, you guys were all over me for, hey, what are the meta rules here? How do we engage with this, Dusty? Um, What's an example? So you guys were immediately asking me, which one would be the most level appropriate? Are, <laughs> are some of these harder than others? Oh, yeah. Can we gold? Are, are the number of gold pieces in the reward indicative of, of the difficulty? I mean, you shouldn't, shouldn't you assume that? I would think so. But you guys were asking me these questions. I, I in, in contact or in retrospect, uh, that just seems obvious. Yeah, I didn't think we'd hit that at all. I just thought you'd say, oh, this one sounds interesting or I want to help this lady or, or, or whatever. And and also, you guys were asking me some very smart questions around, well, if we take this mission, do the other two go away? And in my head, I'm thinking, you know, no, I've prepared the content for all three and I'm not going to waste it. But that's a good question. In a more persistent world, if I was being more realistic, maybe they should have gone away. Yeah, maybe somebody would just give up and be tired of waiting. Maybe they would find out that their husband or whatever was dead. Yep. Um, actually, I guess in context, so we've bounced around a lot between now and then. We haven't had... We, we've we've had persistent characters, but the characters haven't persisted throughout all seven years of play. These were basically our second our second crew that we were playing. Well, at this our point. first crew only lasted that that one game. Uh, the really, very first, it, yeah, yeah, just the one game, just the one game. Okay, well, they were so poorly created. Remember the uh, charisma yeah. based ranger? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they were so poorly created. So we started the red box, and those characters. With a few exceptions, like Mike switching out his cleric yeah. that he hated and, and, and things like that, the second set of characters lasted a lot longer. Yeah, we were invested in those characters, and we were trying to uh, – we had ambitions for the characters, and you know we wanted – like now in a game, if you tell me that, you know, oh, you get 200 gold, I'm like, okay, you know, because I know that uh, right now we have a cutoff point for the game. You said we're, we're going to stop at level five. For, for a current game. For yes. a current game. That we're playing today, literally that we played like three days ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, back then we had no idea that those characters would ever end. So we thought that 
we would be playing them forever. So we wanted to get as much money as we could so yep. that we could have live the most comfortable lives in our D&D universe. Yes. The writing was on the wall that this was going to end, but I wasn't reading it yet. Like hindsight's twenty twenty. Um. So the lumber camp. Uh, so, sorry. Lessons learned. The, the, the bulletin board concept I loved. Yeah. The mini adventures I loved. Instantly, you guys had metagame questions. So for me, a big takeaway there. This is when I really started to get more comfortable. Like a lot of our lessons are up to this point where me saying to myself, gosh, I should have metagamed just for a second. I should have stepped out of character just for a second and talked about, you know, oh, yeah, you can choose either one. It doesn't matter. We're going to wind up running all of them, I'm sure, whatever order you want. Um, I should have, or, or in this case, I did step out of character and, and say, okay, metagame, here's what's going on. You can pick. No, gold pieces don't indicate difficulty. And and yada, yada, yada. And we were, boom, right back to playing. And that was an aha moment for me saying, you know, I should have led with that. Before we even started playing, I should have said, hey, guys, before we're in character, today we're going to explore some mini games and we're going to explore the bulletin board concept. And if I'd, if I'd spent a minute or 90 seconds on the metagame concept, it would have prevented those those in-game questions, that, that confusion. Yeah, Um Actually, I guess in hindsight, could there was nobody who was the – I'm not trying to force a business analogy, I promise. But there was like no business owner of the bulletin board. So there wasn't like somebody who um, was like the – who was like the uh, coordinator. Uh, was Sarah Osterman ran the bar? The bar. And she – so I was in character trying to answer your yeah. questions before we finally timed out. And and I answered your questions, but she could have uh, like literally she could have had somebody whose job was, say, take one percent of the gold that's being offered up, you know, and maybe actually run that. That could have been somebody's uh, racket and they could have answered questions like that. So you're actually giving me an idea for a new campaign, which is an (laughs) entire campaign based on an adventure bulletin board, you know. Very much like many RPGs, yeah. where you have like, like or, or Borderlands, where you have the, that bulletin board concept, where you you get missions. I mean, yeah, basically this would be no different than like Craigslist. Actually, Craigslist would, would be advertising, but like somebody like um, uh, I don't know, a, a paid service that we that you could go to now, where somebody posts stuff and eBay, eBay. You know, I'll never do that. Why? So it's it's just now gelling with me. Doing this for one session, where hey, you guys now have a reputation. Um, we were playing Mike's game, so there was a second band of heroes also in Fallcrest in the same universe. So you guys being in the universe, people posting basically classifieds, looking for swords, looking for mercenaries, looking for adventurers, for lack of a better term, made sense in the world and in the game. Hey, there are two adventuring parties in this in this city, in this town. Obviously, we're trying to hire them. Uh, there, there are famous excerpts from the Tombstone Epitaph which is the newspaper for Tombstone, Arizona, where Doc Holliday took out classifieds. I mean, legit. Yeah. For real. Um, so To do, to, for what exactly? Do you have an example? Uh, yes. He took out a classified that basically said if anyone else called Big Nose Kate uh, an inappropriate word for a prostitute, that he would kill them. Awesome. Yes. Uh, true story. But um, anyway, point is, when you have folks around who are prone to violence, that, that can show up in classifieds and in the local conversation and in the local um, ethos, basically. But uh, the reason I'll never do that 
and base a campaign on it and actually have someone whose job it is to manage the bulletin board is because in that universe, adventurers are extremely common. And I don't like that idea. Okay. Like, not for my game. Yeah. I love it in World of Warcraft. You know, it, the fact that there are all these adventurers and, and, and people are going about making their own way. It has kind of a certain 1950s feel to it where you have lots of entrepreneurial spirit and lots of people out there making their own way. That feels kind of fun. Mm-hmm. There are book series I like, which are kind of based on that concept of, of, of managing all this talent that's going in all these different directions at once. But in my campaign, I like for adventurers to feel really rare. Like most people have their heads down and are working to make a living. You guys are rare exceptions where you have the luxury to travel around and be able to afford food without farming or without, you know, owning a, a manor or whatever. Kind of like reality. Yeah. Yeah. For, so verisimilitude is a big keyword for me, at least in the games that I run. So not a bad concept. Could be kind of a fun experimental campaign. I'll probably never do it. Yeah. This bulletin board where you guys had been in the area for a while and this kind of made sense is about as near as I'll ever get to that. So not to, I guess, belabor the point, but so adventurers are rare. If the bulletin board's in place just to get our attention, why wouldn't people just come to us directly? Well, there was the second party. Well, number one, I have no really great justification for it. Um, it just, to some extent, I was stealing the bulletin board from a, you know, video games. Yeah. And I just like the idea of, of building the, you know, having these quick props of these postings. Um, so no great justification beyond that. But looking back and trying to trying to post justify it, um, there were the two parties. That the two parties town. that we played from yes. the two different games. Yep. The party that I played in in Mike's campaign yeah. and the party that you all played in from our campaign. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, th- this in no way took me out of the game at all. I'm just in, in just uh, in no, hindsight. In yeah, hindsight no, 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 it's yeah. a good question. But uh, so so anyway, lesson learned there for me it was, it was a bit of metagaming to explain the mechanics would have would have been helpful up front. And then you're exposing a new lesson learned here, Brian, which is, you know, as the GM, as the DM, whatever you want to run is fine, but make sure that you're comfortable with it and then clue your players in as to what you're about to do. Yeah. All right. So this lumber camp. So her, her lost husband, Redgar, um, the sandworms from Dune. So you guys showed up, uh, you found all these kind of shallow dug holes that uh, of soft earth. You, you guys cottoned on more or less pretty quickly to what was going on. You very quickly, um, references were being made to the movie Tremors, to the sandworms from Dune. Uh, and these worms popped out and you guys fought and killed them. Uh, it was fun. The, the investigation was fun. The clues around the campsite were fun. Um, I, I think it was a, a good little mini session. The biggest takeaway for me, the big, the most memorable piece for me, do you remember when Jason, as a necromancer, claimed those two sandworm corpses? Oh, God. Yeah, I do. Yeah, they had enough hit dice. So we, we, we had switched over. We had taken your fourth edition characters, and we had rebuilt them in basic fantasy for the previous game, for the, the Tower of Waiting. And we still had those characters. And Jason had an all-new character. He, he had that necromancer that we talked about last time. Yeah, the necromancer, the, these two sandworms had uh, low enough hit die that he was able to take them both over and use them as minions for the rest of the adventures. Yeah. So lesson learned there is the same lesson learned from, from last <laughs> episode, which is that necromancers are overpowered in basic fantasy, which is no criticism of basic fantasy because, again, 
that's kind of a homebrew class. Yeah, and also, again, of course, uh, be willing to say no to your friends. Be willing to say no. Um, be willing to say no up front, though, and actually take a really hard look at the mechanics that you're about to introduce into the game. All right. Moving on from that, there, I have another posting here that you guys followed up on. Uh, this posting says, Stonecutters killed. Make our quarry safe again. Kill them as killed us for a reward. A hundred gold pieces, Barthel. So we'll see if you remember this, Brian. Uh, the little map cards were kind of a little tunnel with a bunch of 90-degree turns. A fairly shallow tunnel, maybe uh, four or five cards deep. So call that 100 feet, basically, and, and into this cliff face the, the, this tunnel went. Do you remember your first time fighting gelatinous cubes? I do now. Uh, I, comp- that, I had excised that from my brain or exercise that, whatever, uh, for my brain. Um, I've excised taxed that for my brain. That makes it sound like you, you, you dropped a memory on purpose, like it was bad. You, was, was this a bad? No, so like, there's a lot of classes of monsters that I associate with like the fantasy setting, and then there are other ones that I associate more with, I don't know, video games. And any kind of non- any kind of amorphous character, any kind of amorphous, and it's a cube, but it's gelatinous, so it's it's pliable. I don't know, just something gross about it. Yeah. So it's funny what you're hitting on there. I was going to talk about this as as the podcast continued, but I was actually laying the groundwork here for um, monsters from another plane, basically aliens to your plane. These sandworms, the miniatures were very funky looking, like like they looked more like the sandworms from Beetlejuice than the sandworms from Dune, like tentacles and lots of mouths. And and they were very, very strange. And then you show up at this quarry, and I had never deployed oozes or gelatinous cubes in my game before because I think they're kind of goofy. And, and they are so alien that I just can't imagine a world that had a creature like the creature from, from the blob um, would, would be a world that, would, that humans would, would be masters of. They're just they're so alien. They're so strange. Yeah. it. They're very sci-fi. I would, very sci-fi. I would love to run black puddings and yellow ochres and gelatinous cubes in a sci-fi setting. But in a fantasy setting, for me, those, those monsters only work in dungeons, which we've already established. I, I, I'm not huge into running dungeons. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, the whole other, like, oh, God. So the kind of monsters that we typically encounter are either... Uh, standard fantasy type characters, uh, like kobolds or um, goblins, goblins, orcs, orcs, hobgoblins, dragons. But anytime you honestly, anytime we've encountered anything that was more kind of like exotic, exotic, or even things that are kind of like that come from hell, that are more demonic. Um, and outside, I've never really thought about it before, but that those also seem slightly out of skew from what my expectations are. But you know what? The game isn't here just to satisfy my expectations. It's to, uh, I mean, you got to have new experiences. No, you're right. And, and I was challenging myself with this. I was trying to branch you guys out. Even though I didn't know the campaign was dying yet, I could sense that we were in a rut. And I was really trying to step outside my cobalt orc goblin comfort zone. And justify this. So, so this whole plot that was set up, if you remember, Brian, yeah, all of these problems were caused by ultimately the same guy opening portals to a different plane and letting these alien strange creatures through. Oh, yeah. I remember that. So that wound up being the root cause of all this. But you were, you were still discovering that. So I felt good about the quarry 
that these miners had been killed by black puddings and, and, and gelatinous cubes because, again, this guy had let them through. Um, so you went into the tunnel. Uh, gelatinous cubes surrounded you because there, there was two. There was, and, and when you passed one, it came out into the hallway, and these two gelatinous cubes were closing in on you guys, and that was a fun, interesting combat. And even after that, I had a black pudding that had kind of been occupying the bottom part of a, of a shallow pool, mm-hmm. and it came out of the pool. Um, so I, I liked so using this plot to introduce these exotic alien monsters. So the pool was black? No, the black pudding was – so, so well, there was clear water, but yeah. then it looked murky underneath. Yeah, because I remember like uh, it wasn't obvious that there was uh, – a gelatinous cube. Well, you were in a dark mine. Yeah. You were in a mine shaft lit only by your lantern. Lanterns. Was there torches. was there another game that we played where a creature was in water, but it had the same um, uh, visual or the same? Um, what's the right way of putting it? This- I, I've never deployed a pudding against you. No, not okay. So I was thinking there was a recent Pathfinder beginner box where we tried Pathfinder. We did the beginner box. Um, there was basically a, a Sogwin like character. Uh, a, a sort of amphibious humanoid that was in water. Yeah, that I w- you guys dealt with. So basically, I was thinking of something that had the same light refractive properties of water, and that it, it was effectively, it was effectively invisible. You're thinking of the gelatinous cubes, okay? The gelatinous cubes, uh, per the, the the descriptions of the monster manual, when they are still, they are basically invisible. They they have the same refractive properties as air, so you you can't see them. Light passes right through them, no problem. Gotcha. When they start moving, the descriptions are, you don't see a big gelatinous cube like the movie The Blob. You see like a heat shimmer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. what you're remembering. Okay, so th- that was And then game. you start fighting it, and as you're fighting it, and it's rippling everywhere, okay, now it looks more gelatinous. So it's kind of funny. So we're talking about this uh, this campaign, this game, but this, we actually, we started playing, what, seven, eight years ago. And but this game here was only like two or three years ago. Uh, so not so much. Turns out my wife's been listening to episodes. The Halloween game I was off by a year. That was actually October of eleven, not twelve. So no, I think this is probably longer ago than you think. Was it? I mean, so I was looking like the. Uh, I thought the date on the photo that I posted lined up with oh, what you well, said. Maybe so. Um, I the it was it was the same year, not the same month. We are skipping forward quite a bit because we, we there were some other sessions that we haven't talked about. Like we haven't talked about Mike's game at all. Okay, but I, so I thought I thought this was the game where we had Jason playing and then somebody else was playing. As it well. is yes. Okay, this is that game. Okay, so that would have been at least uh, twenty fourteen. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, that amazes me. That amazes me. I know that we were still playing these characters that, as of that, that, long, that just yeah. three years ago. Okay, fair enough. And we also accelerated playing after this. Like, we we played once every six weeks. We played as many games or more in the last three years, I think, than we played in the, the first couple four, years. Four years, we yeah. Yeah, we, we've really accelerated. Anyway, um, the big the big lesson learned for me from the, the oozes, uh, the, the one black pudding and the two gelatinous cubes, were that, man, Chris's character had no opportunity to shine. Um, Stonewing the rogue. I made reference before to basic fantasy and the mistake that I made in porting over your levels instead of your experience yeah. points. Yeah. Because in basic, I, I wasn't used to games that had different level progression by class, which is an older concept. And basic fantasy definitely has that. So Chris's character would not have been a level seven. He To be on parity with you guys, he needed to be like a level nine or 10 thief. Um, 
and then have you guys be, you know, level seven wizard, level seven this, level seven that. I made you all level seven. So I imagine, and I haven't spoken to Chris about this, but I imagine Chris had a pretty rough go of these few basic fantasy sessions where his thief was just terribly ineffective. I don't know. I think it depends on how you play. I think, you know, I could see a thief, not from an offensive perspective, but from like a logistical perspective. I I think a thief that's even a couple levels down would probably be pretty effective. Well, so I gave him a moment, and I say gave him because it was reaching a bit, um, but he did a great job. In this particular encounter, in the mine, in the mine shaft, as you guys were fighting, um, he figured out pretty quickly that his bonus to hit, he was just never going to hit these yeah. things. So he was trying all kinds of stuff to still have fun with the game and more power to him um, for a player to reach out and say, hey, I get that you messed up. Let me just try some stuff and I'll still have fun was great of Chris. And Chris tried this thing where he climbed up some of the beams and he was trying to loosen the ceiling yes. to let these rocks fall. And I was like, you know what? That's absolutely going to have a chance to succeed. Um, and I said, let it happen, because if I was playing a, a stricter game and I hadn't, you know, screwed up move, porting his character over, I might have been a little more strict on, on causing a cave-in. But in that moment, completely let it happen, and, and that let him get some good licks in on these uh, on these gelatinous cubes. But huge lesson learned for me, really, you know, take a moment and understand the game you're about to run if and only if you're porting over existing characters at a higher level. I really stand behind our lesson from the first show. You don't need to know what you're doing if you're running a level one adventure. But beyond but, that, but, you but absolutely if, do. But if you're moving over level seven characters and you're trying to have a more advanced game with a lot more capability, you need to spend a few minutes with the rules. But the cool thing is, this is something that we played for a little while. It's not like it's something that we invested it's not like we had to we realized we hit a wall and we had to start and then reapproach things yep. it was a it was an, a, an ephemeral experience we uh we were in this game for a short period we look back now realize that we made a mistake but it didn't have a huge impact on what we did going forward true yeah and we, this was a bridging game for us we we I mean, the writing was more than on the wall. The playtest was well underway. Fleeting would probably be a better way to describe it. Was, it. This, was, this was fleeting. It's yeah. a fleeting set of mechanics because 5th edition was imminent. 4th edition was not getting new new releases anymore. And uh, we switched to Basic Fantasy as kind of a bridging system to try out some older school mechanics while we waited for the release of 5th edition. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, the timing there pretty much works out with what we were uh, thinking. Yep. So... Uh, I also want to talk briefly about Jason. We were very much losing Jason. Yeah. Jason was just not terribly interested in just where he was in life. You know, he just moved back to North Carolina. He had a different job. Uh, his wife was looking for a job. Um, the, the, their, their daughter getting her settled. And uh, Jason didn't have a lot of time to invest. Um, was, was his other daughter just being. Mm, she's only two now. Okay. So, so, so no, that, that her arrival was not imminent. But Jason just didn't have a lot of time to invest, and he enjoyed spending time with us because, you know, obviously yeah. you and Jason have been good friends since birth. Since birth. And I've been great friends with Jason since... 10 years. Mike is... Yeah. We've been friends with Mike since kindergarten. So we all love hanging out, yeah. but Jason just didn't care for the game. And he, I think, was really reluctant to express that because um, after, after 
we played, by the way, these these four mini games over the course of two actual real real life sessions. Um, Jason came to me after this first session was like, you know, I just don't want to spend this time anymore. My time away is limited. My time to myself is precious. My time is 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 precious. Um, I would rather do other things than play D anD. d And I could tell he was he he was worried about hurting my feelings. But instantly, I was like, oh, no problem, man. I completely get that. Yeah. And I really appreciated him bringing that to our attention, so that we didn't try to. You know, I was I was really struggling to to keep Jason engaged. The whole necromancer thing was a huge nod to let me find something that Jason finds fun, and even that, um, he it, it didn't hold his interest that long. It was it was the previous session with the with the Tower of Waiting, and then this session, and Jason was done. Yeah, I, and I'm trying to I'm trying to understand, trying to put myself in Jason's shoes. Obviously, the time perspective. Uh, I, I honestly would have thought Jason would have enjoyed this, but in hindsight, I mean, it's pretty clearly not his bag. He's always loved board games. He's always loved like strategy based games and like board games and everything give, give you a much clearer direction and framework to work within where this is much more improvisational. It's entirely improvisational. And, uh, I think, I think that probably works better for Jason's personality. And our group has matured. We went, we went from, Really emphasizing the G in RPG, yeah. really emphasizing the game aspects of it and the tactical aspects, especially starting out in fourth edition. And we were getting more and more comfortable with more role play yeah. and character and the world. And that totally lost Jason. Yeah. Uh, and also, Jason joined a game in progress that we've been playing for a while. And True. he joined in when we were at a different maturity level than we were. Not just we were focusing more on the RPing, but we also were more advanced. Not not like you know, not we weren't experts, but having at least a few games under your belt puts you in a much different place than starting something from scratch. Yeah, and Jason has come in and played a few games since. Like he played the Geomorphic Dungeon, he played the Ninja Turtle game um, just a few weekends ago. He was he was at the Ninja Turtle game. Pretty sure he was. Ricky was there. Ricky was there, but remember there were five of you, because um, I had all four turtles. Who was Venus de Milo? And one of you was playing Casey Jones. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, he was there for the Ninja Turtles game. He was he was he played the Geomorphic game. He's played a few games here and there since, but it, it it's always very clear now that he's a walk a walk on. Yeah, and that clarity is really appreciated. Yeah, uh, you need to be able to. I don't mean this in a negative way, but depend that somebody will be there. Yep, because it's just not what it's not his favorite thing. He's not dedicated to it like the rest of us are. So I think we're pretty near time. I think we'll we'll wind up this episode here. Um, we're halfway through this set of, of many adventures that were leading up to this this planar plane in the sense of you know yeah. dimensions. Um, these enemies from another dimension. We're, we're building up to that reveal, um, but we'll cover that next episode. Yeah, let's do it. So everybody out there, thanks for listening. Uh, make sure you check out our website at rpglessonslearned.com. And of course, uh, if you have iTunes or Apple Podcasts, subscribe because it would it would make our day. And tune in next time because next week we'll talk about a different kind of, of, of parting of the ways. So the Jason parting of the ways was very bittersweet, and, and then we had another parting of the ways that was just sweet. Yes, <laughs> I can't wait for that one. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them Lessons Learned, and we're sharing ours with you.